Taylor Heineke remains the Falcons starting quarterback, but does the film versus the Vikings justify that decision? You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. Welcome back, everyone, to another illustrious episode of the Locked on Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked on Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And today's episode is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNFL for $20 off your first purchase, last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. And guys, if you don't know me, I'm your very humble host, Aaron Freeman. And I want to give a special shout out to the everydayers that subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. It is an all 22 review today, and we will be breaking down what I saw on the film from the Vikings game, starting off talking about the quarterback. Later, we'll talk about Bijan's usage in the run game, as we often do. And we'll talk about the defense as well to wrap up today's episode. But let's start off with the quarterback conversation. Uh, Yesterday, I talked about how Heineke has the potential to raise the ceiling for this offense because it can be more explosive under him than it was under Desmond Ritter, and that's been borne out over the last six quarters. But as I always say, I like to wait until I watch the film before I make too many final judgments. And we know Heineke's going to be the starter again this week against the Arizona Cardinals. And at face value, again, it makes sense, but I'm going to officially, as of this point, go on record after watching the film and kind of second guess that decision, I, I thought watching the film Heineke was bad, right? He did some good things. You know, that scramble on the third down on the penultimate drive was one, one of the standout plays that he made in the game, but the, you know, most of the game, it was, it was a lot of bad film, you know, part of it is like, he can't throw a dig route to save his life. And anybody who knows anything about this offense is like, dig routes are a big part of the offense. And that's a problem. You know, it, it was a lot of misreads not seeing some open receivers on some staple concepts and a generally poor decision-making and accuracy was all over the film. Now I think the accuracy or inaccuracy was mostly due to his feet being out of sync with his eyes. Right. And that was something that rarely happened with Desmond Ritter. I know JT O'Sullivan of the quarterback school on YouTube talks a lot about this when he did his film breakdowns of Ritter over the last two years, which is, you know, a testament to the mechanics work that, you know, coaches like Jordan Palmer, and others have done over the last three years with Desmond Ritter that his feet and his eyes were rarely out of sync. That's not the case with Heineke in this Vikings game, right? There was some sidearm throws. There were some off platform throws, and that's not to be confused with off structure plays where the off structure plays are the, the design of the play is to throw the ball to this receiver. And then the quarterback goes off structure, you know, usually with his legs to extend outside the off platform is when you're not throwing with proper mechanics, right? And that led to a couple of high throws, a couple of low throws, especially on some of the checkdowns to the running backs uh, where he didn't have his seat, feet set. Um, you know, looking at the turnover worthy plays, I know PFF had him with three in this game. I, I had five where I was like, Ugh, I don't know, you know, three passes, two decisions, you know, and if we can delineate between a, what's a turnover worthy pass and a turnover worthy decision, basically the two decisions were he threw a pass that probably should have been picked off. It was a bad decision. The decision meant that it should have been picked off, but he threw is such an inaccurate pass that neither the receiver or the defender could catch the football. So it wasn't going to be an interception. And 
you know, as I said yesterday, like Heineke does like to push the ball down the field. And again, I, I do think potentially that does raise the ceiling for this offense. There was a throw to Kyle Pitts in the fourth quarter. That was a 27 yard throw where he ripped it to Pitts down the seam over the defender. Right. And it's a handful of those plays like that, that are like, okay, if he can do that consistently, but then you see no hesitation on that throw, but then on the final drive with the Falcons needing to go and win, he has a, a corner route or an out route deep out to uh, Kadero Hodge and he pumps it and he, he hesitates on the throw and that allows the safety. I think it was Harrison Smith to potentially jump the throw that I qualified that as a turnover worthy decision. He winds up ripping the throw and overthrowing it. And again, because it was uncatchable by either player. But if he hits that throw, if he throws it in time, he doesn't pump, he doesn't hesitate, he throws it on time, that's like a 22-yard gain. That puts the ball at the 44 with like 10 seconds left in the game. We're seven yards away from Youngway Koo's field goal range, right? We just get one more completion, and, 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 and we tie the game, and the game goes in overtime. And I firmly believe, based off of what I've seen so far through nine games this year, if Desmond Ritter's in the game, he probably makes that throw, right? And potentially the Falcons win the game. So it, officially, I'm on record basically saying, hmm, I don't know about the decision to stick with Heineke. I'm officially going on record saying uh, the film isn't good against Minnesota. And it makes me more nervous about this upcoming Arizona matchup. And so if he, you know, lays an egg, I think from uh, again this week, you know, I'll just say you were warned. Right. So we'll see. Right. As I said yesterday, like Heineke's style of play is so reminiscent to me of Marcus Mariota. It's a high variance style of play. I think that style of play has worked best with having a alpha at the receiver position where you can basically play the style that Heineke wants to play, which is like, screw it. Julio Jones is down there. Screw it. Devontae Adams or Stefan Diggs. That type of receiver is down there somewhere. I'm going to throw it. He, you can play that style. I think that that style of play tends to work better when you have that sort of alpha at the receiver position. The Falcons don't really have that guy, right? Theoretically, Kyle Pitts could be that guy, but given that he's hurt and doesn't look like that guy, Drake London isn't really that guy, although Drake London can do some of that stuff because of some of the, the jump balls that he can win. We've seen him do that uh, at times when lined up on the outside. So he's the closest option, and obviously he wasn't in this Vikings game. Now, one of the things I, I told people after the game is I didn't think the Falcons missed Drake London all that much. And I, I still think that's mostly true, although there was a couple of times where the Vikings manned up the Falcons receivers. There was one especially uh, on that third down scramble that Heineke had on the penultimate drive. It was a third and nine. And the Vikings manned up our receivers and nobody got open. Um, and so when we get to the offseason, you're going to probably hear me talk about the Falcons need again. We'll see if this changes in, in Drake London can be more of that guy or we start to see Kyle Pitts step up and be more of that guy uh, in the second half of the season. But you're probably going to hear me talk about the Falcons need to get an alpha receiver this offseason. Now, is it their biggest need? Maybe not, you know, quarterback edge, whatever. Um, and I know talking about the Falcons needing to use more assets and invest more at the skill position players is, is opening up a can of worms because, again, I know a lot of revisionist historians love to play the game low. We, you know, we could have drafted this guy or we shouldn't have drafted this guy, that sort of thing. And I'll continue to reiterate the, my philosophy on this podcast, which is, you know, I don't spend too much time worrying about past decisions. You know, 
unless you have a time machine that you can go back and change those decisions, I tend to focus on the present and future. And I can look at the film and say, in the present, you need this type of player to play this type of style in order to best push yourself in position to win games, right? And so whether or not you could have drafted that player two or three years ago or five years ago or whatever, to me is kind of irrelevant to that conversation. Uh, but, you know, I know I'm in the minority on that opinion. So just giving you guys a heads up, you know, the Falcons got a lot of issues, that they, a lot of needs, and they're they're not, you know, one offseason away, you know, unless a lot of these players in-house solve their problems. But again, that whole wide receiver conversation, that's really an offseason issue, you know, we're going to have to do the best to win the games right now with the team that we have today, right? That's really the, the goal for the rest of the season. And we'll punt those conversations to January. Uh, but given Heineke's high variance style of play, you know, I think it does put more emphasis on having that sort of stable foundation on your offense, which is going to be the run game. And so we're going to continue to reiterate the need for the Falcons to be more effective running the football. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk over the last 48 hours, at least on Twitter. Um, and I don't like talking about Twitter. I, I got my issues with Twitter, as some of you guys well know. But, you know, there's been a lot of talk over the last couple of days about B. John Robinson's usage in this offense, right? And that potentially could affect the run game. And I'll give you my thoughts on that and whether or not that's really the problem with the Falcons offense moving forward. Guys, buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets to all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you with killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee. Game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. You can see the view from your seat before you buy so you know exactly what you get before you get to the event. All-in prices show your total up front so there's no hidden fees. You can buy tickets in seconds right up to the start of the event, and game time's guarantee you will always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, they'll credit you 110% the difference. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNFL for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONNFL for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. So before we get into the conversation about B. John Robinson's usage and what's really going on with the Falcons offense in their run game, uh, do want to plug the Locked On NFL kickoff live each and every Friday at 2 p.m. My my guy Jarvis Davis is joined by several other folks from around the Locked On NFL uh, crew to preview the upcoming slate of games. You'll get insights on fantasy, betting, all that and more. But, uh, you know, check out Locked On NFL kickoff live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. If you're subscribed to Locked On Falcons, you're already subscribed to it. Uh, so make sure you subscribe to Locked On Falcons if you haven't already. But uh, speaking of fantasy, let's talk about Bijan Robinson's usage. And my official statement is I don't really have a problem with Bijan Robinson's usage, but it, it is funny to me that like I sat here in the summer and being like, this is going to when when Arthur Smith when the Falcons are splitting carries between Bijan and Algier, this is going to be a problem with the fantasy community. You know, once again, I'm a prophet. Uh, again, although this was this this was a very easy prophecy to make, um, you know, it's going to be a problem to fantasy folks. And uh, here we are. But, you know, I, I feel like people are pushing a narrative, especially the fantasy folks. And I, I feel like too many Falcon fans are like falling into this trap because essentially I think what's going on, if I can pretend to be a psychologist for a second, um, I think people are just so 
upset with Arthur Smith for obvious reasons that they're just looking for any ammunition that they can find to take shots at him. And Bijan's usage is like the topic du jour of the last 48 hours as the, the ammunition in that regard. And, and I get it because you're, you're upset with that one play call in second and goal where they, they handed the ball off to John U. Smith on the jet sweep and Bijan wasn't on the field. Like I, I hated the call too, but as I've reiterated so many times on this podcast over the weeks and years, um, you know, one bad play call is not going to get me too bent out of shape, especially in a sample of 67 plays. And even if you can find four more bad play calls to get to five terrible play calls or whatever, as I've said before, you know, five out of 67 isn't a bad hit rate, right? You know, or, you know, 62 out of 67 is a pretty good hit rate is what I should say. Because uh, if you applied it to a quiz, if you had a 67 question quiz and you miss five, you still get an A minus on the quiz. So again, I'm not saying that you're not allowed to criticize, but I like I'm not going to get too bent out of shape about you know Arthur Smith's play calling being relatively speaking an A minus. Um, you know, really the the situation with the play calling for me at least, and again I, I'm probably biased on this, but like my Parker Hesse agenda is thriving. That that sequence really showed that Parker Hesse is a missed man in this offense. And this Vikings game really showed that, right? You know, Tucker Fist served as the fullback in this game because Keith Smith's absence during injury. So we're going to count Tucker Fisk as a running back. So you you saw the Falcons on that sequence at the one-yard line go 13 personnel, right, on that initial snap on that Jonu Smith because they motioned Tucker Fisk out of the backfield, um, you know, out and then did the, the jet sweep to Jonu. And both Fisk and Pitts couldn't make t- make their blocks on the edge, which is why that play got stuffed. And then on third down, they go 23 personnel. They put Algier in the backfield, Fisk as the lead blocker. And you have uh, Janu motioning again, and he gets forklifted by Daniel Hunter into Algier, which blows up the play. And I sit here and I go, like, Parker Hesse, guys, would never. That would never happen to Parker Hesse if he was either Tucker Fisk or Janu Smith in any of those scenarios. But getting back to the point about Bijan, you know, and I, I know some people are going to be like, oh, this is Aaron being contrarian, always with the contrarianness. But like, it's weird to me to be complaining about Bijan's usage after this Vikings game when it was arguably his worst game of the season. Like, he wasn't bad in this game. Like, he wasn't outright bad, right? Like, a lot of the, the, the fact that he wasn't particularly productive as a runner was because of um, he didn't have a whole lot of space. Like, his one good run that he really had in this game was he fumbled on. So, it's like, like, literally, the only time he looked good on a run, he fumbled, you know? And like you have two fumbles in the last five games and you just generally, you know, Algier has been more efficient as a runner the last couple of weeks than Bijan has overall. Right. And this is why it goes back to something I commented to Jarvis on, on last Friday's episode, uh, talking about that 25 yard run that he had at the beginning of the third quarter against the Titans. And I'm like, Oh, it's nice to see you again, Bijan, because I haven't seen this Bijan in like a month, like that type of Bijan. I haven't seen that guy in a month. And again, I'm not I'm not trying to say this to knock Bijan. Anybody knows Bijan's my guy. I'm just sitting here going like it's a weird hill to die on watching the film to be like, oh, Bijan's usage is all wrong and stuff because you're mad at, you know, he didn't get one handoff in this game. And you're mad that, you know, Algiers getting all the short yardage carries when, you know, I think the data kind of points that Algiers like, you know. Yeah, I, I don't I don't have a problem with Arthur Smith's decision to give Algier the bulk of the carries on short yardage. And in the red zone, because I, I think Algier has shown a body of work that says that he's very capable in that regard. And, and you know, again, part of it is because Bijan hasn't gotten the opportunities, but like Bijan's body of work hasn't really shown 
that he's a reliable option in that outside of, you know, a couple of fourth and one, you know, plays against the Packers. But, you know, I just sit here and I go like, you know, I can certainly nitpicks some of Bijan's usage over the last nine games, but, you know, I could probably come up with a dozen plays, but like, you know, that to me feels like more of a fantasy football problem than a reality football problem. You know, my my bigger concern about that sequence, you know, again, I can sit here and nitpick one play or two plays or whatever. But my bigger concern is the Falcons lined up in a physical set, you know, 13 personnel, 23 personnel, and they couldn't get a yard. Like the, the whole point is like this team's trying to be this physical football team and they're not very physical. And the only time they looked like that physical football team came on the penultimate drive where they ran the ball, they handed the ball off 11 times on 13 plays with one scramble by Taylor Heineke uh, to be the 12th run on that play. And they were able to successfully march down the field on that series, right? But they didn't do it by basically lining up, trying to out-physical the Vikings. They did it by kind of spreading the field and playing with 11 personnel and playing with 12 personnel and, and a sprinkling of 21 personnel. Right. And they pulled Kyle Pitts off the field in that sequence. Like, I think Kyle Pitts was only on the field for two out of those 11 plays. Right. I think like the first two or three. And then he was done. It was all Michael Pruitt. It was all John Smith. It was all uh, Tucker Fisk after that point. And you're consistently putting wide receivers in the Falcons were effectively once they started spreading the field and, you know, they were getting a hat on a hat. And in Minnesota, you know, started out with two high safeties on that look. And then they realized, OK, the Falcons are running. We're going to drop Harrison Smith into the box. But the Falcons were able to take care of business because they were getting good perimeter blocking from their tight ends on that sequence, which they didn't get on that goal line sequence. And so, again, if you're going to if we're going to light the torches and get out the pitchfork for Arthur Smith and call him, you know, how, you know, what's a fireable offense for Arthur Smith and how he's utilizing the offense. It ain't about Bijan's usage, guys. Like, again, that's a fantasy football problem, not a reality football in reality. If we're going to blame Arthur Smith for anything that's costing this football team, it's his decision to cut Parker Hesse, right? And I know some of you guys are like, oh, this, oh, yeah. So, and again, I only say it half seriously because I know it's a ridiculous statement to make that, oh, cutting this third string tight end was like the thing that ruined the following season. But like, if you watch the film, guys, like if you watch the film, like I'm not exaggerating when I sit here and I say like, their tight end blocking ability has so much impact on their ability to run the ball effectively because they play an outside zone scheme, right? That they're playing, right? When the teams are stacking the box, how do you stop that, right? How do you, you run away from it? You run to the perimeter. So you need your tight ends to be able to create seals on the edge. And Parker Hesse consistently did that last year. And the current tight ends, Pitts, Janu. Now to Michael Pruitt's credit, you guys know I've been bashing Michael Pruitt on these episodes over the last month or so. I thought Pruitt did his best job blocking in this game. So maybe, maybe Pruitt's coming through, right? So I sit here and I go like reality football, the stuff that actually impacts games, Parker Hesse's usage or lack thereof, you know, I know he's on IR, so, uh, you know, whatever. I, I don't know how the practice squad IR, you can be designated to return from the, the practice squad IR, but like I only half jokingly was like, oh, Parker Hesse is a roster cornerstone. But as I said, if you were watching the, if you're really watching the film guys, like that, that's not a joke. Right? <laughs> like if you're watching the games, man, and not focusing on the spreadsheets that these fantasy nerds are, are, are focusing on. And you know, I'm a nerd in other ways. I'm a, I'm a film nerd, not a fantasy nerd. So I, I, no, no shade at nerds. Just, you know, your, your nerddom is not my nerddom. This is basically what I'm sitting here going. It's just like the whole Bijan usage thing. It's just, it's much ado about nothing. Again, 
get my guy the ball, but like <laughs> this is this is not the hill to die on. If you want to die on a hill, come join me on the Parker Hesse. <laughs> Should have never been cut hill. <laughs> That's the hill to die on. So um, we'll we'll see we'll see what other tweaks we can make to the Falcons. Looking at the defense and what the film showed me, especially on terms of their dime defense, to wrap up today's episode. Now, good, bad, or in between, it is tough to root for your favorite team, especially a team like the Falcons on an empty stomach. And I experienced this this past Sunday, guys, where I was sitting there about an hour before kickoff, hungry, you know, not having a bunch of food. I hadn't hadn't, hadn't done my grocery shopping of the week. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to order myself some wings on DoorDash, my favorite wing spot down the street. Uh, it, it delivers on DoorDash. And I was able to get, you know, a dozen hot teriyaki wings, get those right before kickoff and, and was munching on those. And seemingly the Falcons were doing OK when, you know, I was eating my wings. And then once I ran out of wings, then things started going downhill for the team. So maybe we'll just have to make a tradition with DoorDash. And if you want to get that good mojo, make sure you check out DoorDash. And first time customers, if you uh, you can get 50 percent off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more on your first order by downloading DoorDash app and entering code LOCKED23. Subject to change, terms apply. That's 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more on your first order when you download the DoorDash app and enter code LOCKED23. Don't forget to use that code LOCKED23, L-O-C-K-E-D-2-3, for 50% off up to a $10 value on your first order when you download the DoorDash app and spend $15 or more. Subject to change, terms apply. So, my, you know, my big takeaway from, you know, Watching the film is, I'm sure, something that you guys also noticed watching the game live. You know, I go, you know, I, I tuned in for the All-22 review for Aaron to tell me something I didn't already know before. But I, I'm going to tell you something that you already knew. The tackling was a problem, right? I counted 14 missed tackles in this game. I know PFF had the Falcons at 16. You know, they couldn't tackle Josh Dobbs in this game. And then that was ultimately the downfall of um, this game. You know, twice we had a, a clean pressure on him. And the defender had him in the grass. I think the first time it was Alford and the second time it was Bud Dupree and he slipped out of it. And then linebackers and safeties were tripping all over themselves and trying to, you know, whiffing on tackles. And he was, he, he was out here looking like Lamar Jackson, basically, or Michael Vick, whoever you want to insert. Like, so it was basically the Vikings getting their Michael Vick revenge from that game back in 2002 with what Josh Dobbs was doing to our defense. So, you know, the Falcons tried spying Josh Dobbs, Right. And even when they had him effectively spied and corralled, they couldn't get him down on the, on the ground. So that's going to be a challenge. You know, I think from a personnel standpoint, the Falcons aren't really built right now um, to really handle a mobile quarterback. Now, the fortunate thing is they don't have too many of those guys left on the schedule. Kyler Murray, of course, is expected to start this week. Um, although I imagine Arizona, because it's maybe his first game back coming from that ACL, they will do their best to limit how much he runs later in the season. Our two biggest scramblers that we're going to have to face is maybe Zach Wilson, potentially Bryce Young, if he starts running around more, and of course, Justin Fields at the end of the year. But, you know, Troy Anderson would be the natural player uh, that I think would be the natural player to spy, but obviously he's out for the season. Um, and there, you know, there's, there's not really another guy that you say, okay, you're going to going to spy the quarterback, right? Nate Lehman's not a good option because he's too slow. Caden uh, Ellis is a you know, more athletic than Nate Lemon, but he's still not an athlete like that to really feel good, especially with a player of, of Dobbs's athleticism, you know, his strength, Caden Ellis is, is rushing the quarterback. Um, 
And unfortunately for Kay Nellis, far too often, you know, this year's due to Troy Anderson's absence, he's been kind of forced to be the primary coverage linebacker for the Falcons rather than rushing the quarterback, um, mostly because the Falcons, and I agree with them, that Ellis is a better coverage option than Nate Landman is at that linebacker position. Now, I know in the past when the Falcons, you know, didn't have a linebacker that could do it, they would switch to a safety, like go back to that 2017 game against the Bills where Tyrod was killing the Falcons. They had Deion Jones spying him. Tyrod was killing them. Then they made the switch to Keanu Neal. There's no real Keanu Neal on this roster, and the closest one is like DeMarco Hellams, and he was out of the lineup on Sunday. So, you know, we'll we'll see how the Falcons deal with that moving forward. But, you know, I think the challenge for the Falcons is going to be they want to be this man-heavy defense, but they haven't been playing that much man coverage based off of my charting the last couple of weeks, right? You know, in the first six games of the season, my charting had them playing man coverage on 50% of defensive snaps, on the coverage snaps. And the last three weeks, that's dropped to 22%. Um, and you would assume, okay, they're playing man and Dobbs is killing them in man, right? When the defense has their back to him. But that wasn't really the case. I charted seven scrambles, five from Dobbs, two from Jaron Hall. One came against man coverage. That was the 22-yarder at the end of the game. Uh, that one big one on fourth down. Um, so it was mostly the Falcons had eyes on the quarterback. They just couldn't get him on the ground because, again, they were missing the tackle. So it wasn't their scheme that was the problem in this game. It was just execution for this defense. Now, last little tidbit, we'll talk about the Ruby defense, uh, the usage on, on third downs. If you don't know, we broke this down in week three, but there's two forms of dime. Dime is six defensive backs, right? But there's two fronts with dime. There's the traditional dime front, which is a four down lineman and one linebacker. And then there's the ruby that the Falcons want to use, but haven't been using as of late, which is three down linemen and two linebackers. They unveiled that ruby against the Detroit Lions and Troy Anderson got hurt. And they've, for the most part, in four out of the last six games have been predominantly traditional 4 one six dime defense but against minnesota as well as houston they were playing a lot more ruby right and that meant landon was going to be on the field in those situations when they play the traditional front the one linebacker is kane ellis and landman goes off the field and again that's why ellis has been primarily more of a coverage guy in the ruby they like to have ellis be more of a rusher in that situation as the fourth rusher along with the three down linemen right but you know, and I don't say all this to bash Nate Lamon. I think he's been playing outstanding this year, but he's a four, he runs a four, eight, six. And when you watch him on film, he looks like a guy that runs a four, eight, six. And that's a problem in the NFL where most running backs are running in the four fives and tight ends are running in four sixes, you know, and you'll see plays where he's like shot out of a cannon and you'll be like, oh, he doesn't look slow on that play. But it's like, you know, he's got a good 10 yard split. He's like 75, 75th percentile. But, you know, if he can run, if he only has to run five to 10 yards in the straight line, he's very fast. But that's, you know, he in coverage that's not coverage right like you know basically doing anything other than that is is what coverage is right so you know i've seen a lot of rhetoric over the last couple of weeks about you know landman should deserve the starting spot over troy anderson or caden ellis down the road and i'm just like you know, i feel like that's splash play syndrome i think that's a lot of people focusing on two to three splash plays and nothing else because i think if you're really watching the film you're like nate landman is a great backup but he's a two down player and you can't start long-term a two-down player in today's NFL. Those are lessons that people should have learned from Ed Hartwell and Curtis Lofton 15-plus years ago, but, you know, it is what it is. Now, my last little thoughts about the dime defense. I liked what I saw from Micah Abernathy serving as that sixth defensive back, right? With Helms out, he was the sixth defensive back, that third safety in their dime defense, and I thought he did a – he showed some versatility. He was good deep, better deep than Helms because Helms doesn't really have the range or the instincts to play deep, and – 
he also showed that he could do a little bit of man coverage. There was a play in the fourth quarter on a third down where he was matched up on the outside against TJ Hawkinson. Now he got beat on the play, but he he did a better job sticking with TJ Hawkinson on that play than Nate Lambend and Richie Grant than Caden Ellis or anybody else did in this game. And so if we're grading on a curve, because TJ Hawkinson, TJ Hawkinson, one of the top five tight ends in the NFL, um, you know, I thought Abernathy did better than anybody else did. And so I'm like, moving forward, let's make Micah Abernathy because of that versatility to do more of the things that the Falcons want to do with that dime defender, whether it's man up, you know, play deep or whatever. You know, Hellums again, I think Hellums is a box guy. And again, against a mobile quarterback like Josh Jobs, that would be the case where Helms would make a lot more sense. But moving forward again, until we get to like the Bears game or something like that, I feel like Abernathy is going to be better for the Falcons. The other tweak I'd make to the lineup is, hey, Mike Hughes, I'm sorry, my guy, you're not punt returning. You're not doing it on defense. You're bad. You're, he was bad in this game. <laughs> he had to step in for an injured D Alford late in the game, and the zone coverage stuff was bad. He's not the only guy that was bad in zone coverage in this game. I thought Okuda had a couple of very questionable reps in this game. But if we're going to play all this zone coverage, and I'm like, hey, this is the Clark Phillips style of play. Like, you know, my biggest beef with the Clark Phillips selection and why I was not as high on him as other people were was because I thought he was mostly a zone corner and wasn't meshed with the Falcons man heavy defense. But if the Falcons are going to keep playing zone like they have the last three weeks, I'm like, why are we not getting Clark Phillips on the field? So we'll see. You know, it depends on D. Alford. If, if D. Alford's healthy, let him play. But that ankle injury is going to be a question mark. So we'll see how what his status is. Um if he's if he's going to miss this Arizona Cardinals game, you know, Clark should be the nickel cornerback in this game. One hundred percent, a thousand percent. Mike Hughes inactive. Please get him out of there. Um, but, you know, we'll we'll give you an update on what Alfred status is and other injury status on tomorrow's crossover Thursday, guys. Because so continue to make Lockdown Falcons your first listen. It's all part of Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.